Chapter 34 Surely the Lord God, he will fight our battles for us. Therefore it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. For behold, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For, as I said in a former commandment, even so will I fulfill. I will fight your battles. Behold, the destroyer I have sent forth to destroy and lay waste mine enemies, and not many years hence they shall not be left to pollute mine heritage, and to blaspheme my name upon the lands which I have consecrated for the gathering together of my saints. Doctrine and Covenants 105, 13-15 Just prior to the hardest parts of the great and terrible cleansing of America, some of the saints and a few of God-fearing Christians, non-members who have experienced an awakening through exposure to dreams, visions, and other miraculous testimonies sent to them from the heavenly courts above will be called out of Babylon to places of refuge so they can escape the fiery storms of internal civil wars, desolating plagues, and the occupation on U.S. soil of merciless foreign troops that have been trained and conditioned for this very purpose to be ministers of death and the subjugation of the remaining masses that manage, somehow, to still be alive, having survived the initial American Holocaust. Only a very small percentage of the approximately 340 million inhabitants of the United States will survive. Similar scenarios will be taking place in all parts of the globe to the point where the current governments and socioeconomic jurisdictions will completely cease to exist through the course of the 13-month world war, which will surely come to pass. Spiritual warriors of the first wave will learn through their translation mentorship programs how to see through the dimensional rift of the veil. They will also be taught, as they are in the process of becoming perfect in Christ, how to utilize their sterling faith and priesthood power in drawing down assistance from battle-proven warriors from another dimension who eagerly await orders and priesthood authorization to engage the armies of the ferocious hosts of the enemies of the saints in the celestial world of the spiritual warfare. These modern-day sons of Helaman will have also been taught by their mothers to rely entirely upon God and to exist and function as warriors in a world that lies beyond the borders of human unbelief, so that they can stand unshaken even in the face of overwhelming odds against them. This army of newly translated beings will learn from their already battle-proven mentors a basic law of the universe, as stated in Doctrine and Covenants 121, verse 38. Behold, ere he is aware, he is left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and fight against God. Certainly not all, but a portion of the great cleansing of America will take place when mighty men of Zion, consisting in part of the spiritual warriors of the tip of the spear, raise their arms heavenward to vanquish entire armies of demon soldiers who have been sent to slaughter any and all Americans that demonstrate any signs of resistance to the occupying forces. Perhaps the greatest foreshadowing of this brought to light in the 105th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Violent mobs in the Missouri, in Missouri had declared their intent to destroy the people of God. In June of 1834, Zion's camp, which was, to a great extent, a training session for the green and inexperienced spiritual troops of that era, and led by the young prophet Joseph Smith, Jr. to the shores of the Fishing River, 
where the following portion of a great revelation was presented in the 105th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Verse 14 emphasized, For behold, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I said in a former commandment, even so will I fulfill, I will fight your battles. Verse 15 emphasized, Behold, the destroyer I have sent forth to destroy and lay waste mine enemies, and not many years hence they shall not be left to pollute mine heritage and to blaspheme my name upon the lands which I have consecrated for the gathering together of my saints. Unemphasized. Verse 16. Behold, I have commanded my servant Joseph Smith Jr. to say unto the strength of mine house, even my warriors, my young men and middle-aged, to gather together for the redemption of my people and throw down the towers of mine enemies and scatter their watchmen. Verse 17, But the strength of mine house have not hearkened unto my words. Verse 18, But inasmuch as there are those who have hearkened unto my words, I have prepared a blessing and an endowment for them, if they continue faithful. Verse 19, I have heard their prayers and will accept their offering, and it is expedient in me that they should be brought thus far for a trial of their faith. Verse 35, There has been a day of calling, but the time has come for a day of choosing, and let those be chosen that are worthy. Verse 36, And it shall be manifest unto my servant by the voice of the Spirit, those that are chosen, and they shall be sanctified. Verse 37, And inasmuch as they follow the counsel which they receive, they shall have power after many days to accomplish all things pertaining to Zion. Again and again we see through history that those who live by the sword die by the sword, and that those who humble themselves even as little children placing their lives in the hands of him who is mighty to save are preserved by the arm of his matchless power, even unto the fighting of their battles in behalf of his obedient children. This eternal principle is portrayed beautifully in the 109th section of Doctrine and Covenants, which transcribed the dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple, dated March 27, 1836. Verse 24, We ask thee, Holy Father, to establish the people that shall worship and honorably hold a name, and standing in this ha- thy house, to all generations and for eternity. Verse 25, emphasized that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that he who diggeth a pit for them shall fall into the same himself. Verse 26, continue emphasis, that no combination of wickedness shall have power to rise up and prevail over thy people, upon whom thy name shall be put in this house. End emphasis. Verse 27, and if any people shall rise against this people, that thine anger be kindled against them. Verse 28, And if they shall smite this people, thou wilt smite them. Thou wilt fight for thy people as thou didst in the day of battle, that they may be delivered from the hands of all their enemies. Verse 32, Therefore we plead before thee for a full and complete deliverance from under this yoke. Verse 33, Break it off, O Lord, break it off from the necks of thy servants, by the power that we may rise up in the midst of this generation and do thy work. Section Historical Accounts of Times the Lord Stepped in to Assist the Righteous in Their Battles Against Evil 
To better illustrate the power of the principle that the Lord will fight our future end-time battles for us, let us refer to a number of scriptural accounts. Gideon and the Midianite Armies Vast hordes of the armies of the Amalekites and the Midianites came up against the Israelites. The situation was so dire and terrifying that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord mightily for deliverance from the numberless armies assembled to destroy them. This is in Judges 5, verse 107. The Lord sent an angel who came and sat beneath an oak tree, which belonged to Joash, the father of Gideon. The angel called Gideon, quote, thou mighty man of valor, unquote. But Gideon responded by saying, quote, I am the least in my father's house, unquote. He was being called upon to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord to save his people from the enemy nations. A great army was gathered together for Gideon among from among the tribes of Israel. They came from the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. And the Lord said unto Gideon that the soldiers gathered at his command to fight were too many. Quote, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Unquote. Judges 7, 1 and 2. The Lord instructed Gideon to send all the men back to their families that they might Quote, be fearful and afraid, unquote. Thus the army of Gideon was reduced from 22,000 to only 10,000 men. And again the Lord spoke to Gideon, saying, quote, This people, or the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee there, unquote. When the 10,000 men came down to drink, 9,700 of them bowed down upon their knees to drink water. But 300 of them lapped the water with their tongues. Per the instructions of the Lord, these were the 300 to be chosen to go against the Midianite armies in battle. Gideon divided his 300 men into three groups of 100 and then equipped each of them with trumpets and lamps within the empty pitchers. The three parties surrounded the countless hosts of Midian. Upon the signal from Gideon, they all broke their pitchers and sounded their trumpets while crying, quote, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon, unquote. Then the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow men as they battled and slew each other by the thousands and tens of thousands. Gideon then sent his men to pursue the remainder of the army. They brought back two princes of the Midianites, Opah and Zeb, and slew them. Judges 7, 9 through 25. Killed that day among the hosts of the Midianites were 120,000 men that drew sword. With this great victory, the men of Israel requested that Gideon be their new king, but he refused. Quote, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, and he went and dwelt in his own house. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. Unquote. Judges 8, 1 through 29. Thus was done to prevent Israel from being prideful in their thinking that they, in and of themselves, were able to fight their own battles. Joshua and the Amorites. The five kings of the Amorites feared greatly that the city of Gideon had made peace with Israel. So the five kingdoms gathered together their armies to smite the city of Gideon. Actually, this is Gibeon. The men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, quote, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kinds of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together amongst us. Joshua 10, 1 through 6. 
With the rising of the sun, the army of Joshua slew them with the sword, and as the host fled before them, the Lord cast down stones from heaven upon them, and they died. There were more that died with hailstones than them who, whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Joshua 10, 7-12 And the time that day was needed so that Israel could avenge itself upon all its enemies. So Joshua spoke to the Lord, saying in the full sight of the people, quote, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thy moon, and they moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, and the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua 10, 13-24, and that's an unquote. Um, quote, And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Joshua 10:25 and 42. May we remember how the Lord strengthened the people of Israel and fought their battles for them by holding the sun and the moon in their places and by casting down stones from heaven upon the Amorites, their enemies. The Nephite armies defeat the house hosts of the Gadianton robbers. When the only begotten son of Heavenly Father, Jesus, was a mere infant and toddler, his family lived in Egypt. While still young, Joseph and Mary brought the Christ child to Nazareth of Judea to foster his continued growth and development as the Messiah. At the age of 12, Jesus was found at the temple teaching the priests and the masters of the Jewish people. During the same time period, the Gadianton band had become so large and strong that the remainder of the people, both the Nephites and Lamanites, had to unite together for their own defense and preservation. During the same period of time, about 13 years after the birth of Jesus, many of the Lamanites became converted to the church and humbled themselves before men and God. Their curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites. Their young men and daughters became exceedingly fair, and they were numbered among the Nephites and were called Nephites. Third Nephi 3, 15-16 In the thirteenth year, the Nephites drove the Gadianton robbers back out of their lands into the mountains and into their secret places. But in the fifteenth year, they came back in great force and gained great advantage over the people of Nephi. In the sixteenth year, Laconius, the governor of the land, received an epistle from Gideonhi, the governor of the secret society of Gadianton, challenging him to either join the Gadiantons or be destroyed as a people. Laconius was a righteous man, and he called upon all the tribes everywhere to come gather into one place for their own mutual protection. They brought with them enough provision for seven years, and they gathered together in Zarahemla and Bountiful. Once organized with chief captains chosen over the various armies of the Nephites, a great commander was chosen to take charge of all the armies. His name was Gidgidoni. Gidgidoni was one who had the spirit of revelation and prophecy, quote, and they did fear the words spoken by Laconius insomuch that they did repent of all their sins, and they did put up their prayers unto the Lord their God, that he would deliver them, unquote. 3 Nephi 3:25. The robbers then became desperate because there was no longer anyone around from whom they could steal food and provisions. To make things worse for them, the wild game in the wilderness that they had hunted to provide their sustenance became sparse. 
became sparse and scarce. As a result, their food supply became quite depleted. In the sixth month of the 19th year, the robbers abandoned their strongholds and their secret places to come to battle under the command of Gideonhai, their bloodthirsty chief commander, quote, and behold, great and terrible was the day that they did come up to battle, and they had a lambskin about their loins, and they were dyed in blood, and their heads were shorn, and they had headplates upon them, and great and terrible was the appearance of the armies of Gideonhai because of their armor, and because of their being covered, died in blood. When the army, unquote, third uh, Nephi 4, 7. When the armies of the Nephites saw the appearance of their dreadful opponents, all of them fell to the earth and lifted their cries to the Lord their God, asking him to spare their lives. Upon seeing the armies of the Nephites fall to the ground, the robbers rejoiced and began to shout, for they supposed that the Nephites had fallen in fear. Fear of the very sight of their bloody, monstrous hands and shorn heads, but that was not so. In the strength given to them by God, the Nephites beat the robbers, then pursued them, slaying the stragglers all the way to the borders of the wilderness. Quote, great and terrible was the battle thereof, yea, great and terrible was the slaughter thereof, insomuch that there never was known so great a slaughter among all the people of Lehi since they left Jerusalem. Unquote. Third Nephi 4.11 Gideonhai was slain in this battle, but two years later, in the year 21 AD, Zemnariha became the leader of the robbers that had survived the great and terrible battle. Zemnariha attempted to cut off parts of the Nephite people, but he failed in his siege, sieges, and his food supply became extremely exhausted, so he gathered his army and headed for the north country beyond the land of desolation. On the other hand, Gidgidoni was a righteous and wise general, and he was aware of this escape plan, so he sent his armies out at night to cut off the retreat, up, completely surrounded and hemmed in from all sides. Oops, let's see. Cut off the retreat of the Gadianton robbers. His strategy worked, for the army of Zemnariha was completely surrounded and hemmed in from all sides. Thousands of the robbers gave themselves up as prisoners, and the remainder of them was slain under the command of Gidgidoni. Quote, and their leader, Zemnariha, was taken and hanged upon a tree, yea, even upon the top thereof, until he was dead. And they did fell the tree to the earth, and cry with a loud voice, saying, May the Lord preserve his people in righteousness and in holiness of heart. May the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob protect this people in righteousness, so long as they shall call on the name of the Lord their God for protection. Unquote. Third Nephi 4, 12 through 30. And they all broke forth into the unified singing of hymns and praising their God with all of their hearts, thanking and worshiping him for this great and marvelous thing that he had done for them. Quote, Yea, they did cry, Hosanna to the Most High God, and they did cry, Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty, the Most High God. And their hearts were swollen with joy, under the gushing out of many tears, because of the great goodness of God in delivering them out of the hands of their enemies. And they knew it was because of their repentance and their humility that they had been delivered from an everlasting destruction. Unquote. Third Nephi 4.32-33 Each and every soul acknowledged the messages of the holy prophets that had spoken to them. They knew because of the many signs and wonders they had witnessed for themselves that just a few years before Christ had been born into the world. Quote, and there had been many things transpired which in the eyes of some 
would be great and marvelous. Nevertheless, they cannot all be written in this book. Yea, this book cannot contain even a hundredth part of what was done among so many people in the space of twenty and five years. Unquote. Third Nephi five ten through eleven. Quote, and behold, I am called Mormon, being called after the land of Mormon, the land in which Alma did establish the church among the people. And behold, I do make the record on plates which I have made with mine own hands. Third Nephi 5, 10 through 11. And that's an unquote. Quote, behold, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have been called of him at age 10. Uh, and we know that from Mormon 1, 2. To declare his word among his people that they might have everlasting life. Unquote. Third Nephi 5, 13. These signs and wonders were types and shadows of those things which are about to transpire among us, the Gentiles, in fulfillment of all the holy prophecies concerning the last days. We must remember the cries of the people to God in gratitude. We must remember that their hearts were swollen with joy unto the gushing out of, their, of many tears because of the goodness of God in delivering them out of the hands of their enemies. We must remember 3 Nephi 4, 30-33 because of its impact upon the hearts and minds. We will remember. We must. Jehoshaphat and the Ammonites About 898 years before the birth of Christ, Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem and reigned as the king of Judah. When the tribes of Moab and Ammon came against Judah to battle, the king called all the people to fast and pray together, to ask for the help of the Lord, for their numbers were small in comparison. Jehoshaphat stood before the people at the house of the Lord, before the new court, saying, quote, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God? Unquote. Second Chronicles twenty one through seven. Quote, our God wilt thou not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. Emphasized, but our eyes are upon thee. Unemphasized. Our end emphasis. Unquote. Second Chronicles twenty twelve. Then the prophet Jehaziel received a revelation from the Lord proclaiming, quote, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Unquote. Second Chronicles twenty fifteen. Jehoshaphat arose again, saying, quote, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper so shall ye prosper. And he appointed singers unto the Lord, and the and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Everyone helped to destroy another. Unquote. Second Chronicles twenty sixteen to twenty five. See also Judges seven twenty two and First Samuel fourteen twenty. Upon their arrival, the people of Judah discovered that the Lord had caused all of their enemies to destroy one another. They found only dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when the people came to take away the spoils, they found more riches and precious jewels than they were even able to carry away with them. 
So many spoils, in fact, that they spent three days gathering it all. And on the fourth day, they returned again to Jerusalem with joy and rejoicing, quote, and the fear of God was on all the kingdom of the, those countries when they had heard the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. And he, Jehoshaphat, reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem, and he departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord, unquote. Second Chronicles 20, 24-32 We must remember that when Judah was fearful, that they fasted, prayed, and began to sing hymns of praise unto the Lord, their God, who is our God. We too must remember to pray, fast, and sing mightily our hymns of praise as we place our trust in the God of our fathers. Second Chronicles 20:22. Zenith and the people of King Laman This historical record takes place from approximately 20 to 150 years prior to the birth of Christ and comprises chapters 9 through 22 of the book of Mosiah. About 200 years before the birth of Jesus, the Nephites in Zarahemla sent an army southward to do reconnaissance on the Lamanites that lived in the area of Nephi, which was the land of their first inheritance, or the land that was settled by Lehi and Nephi when their ship first landed on the shores of the Promised Land. According to our records, this is located in and around Guatemala, just south of the border of Mexico. In this expedition, Zenith served as a spy, and while spying on the Lamanites, he located the land of Nephi. During this time, he observed many good qualities in the Lamanite culture and people, which he learned to appreciate. The army wanted to destroy these Lamanites, but Zenith and a few others wanted them to be left alone. So a great division took place, and the Nephite army almost completely destroyed itself while yet in the wilderness. Zenith, being one of the Survivors convinced a group of people from Zarahemla to go with him to settle the area somewhere in or near modern-day Guatemala. Unless you believe in the heartland theory. That's my own input. Zenef even admits to being, quote, overzealous to inherit the lands of our fathers, unquote. A peaceful contract was negotiated between Zenef and Laman, the king of the Lamanites in the land of Nephi. But after 12 years, King Laman began to grow uneasy, supposing that if the people of Zenith became too strong and too numerous, the Lamanites might never be able to bring them down into bondage. So Laman stirred up his people to anger, and in about the, hundred, uh, in about the year 187 BC, the first war against Zenith was initiated in full force. The capital city and the main stronghold of Zenith was named the city of Nephi. In the thirteenth year after their arrival, a numerous host of Lamanites fell upon them and began to slay them mercilessly. Quote, I and my people did cry mightily to the Lord that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemies, for we were awakened to a remembrance of the deliverance of our fathers. And God did hear our cries and did answer our prayers, and we did go forth in his might. Yea, we did go forth against the Lamanites, and in one day and a night we did slay three thousand and forty-three. We did slay them even until we had driven them out of our land. And I, myself, with mine own hands, did help bury their dead. And behold, to our great sorrow and lamentation, two hundred and seventy-nine of our brethren were slain. Unquote. Mosiah 9, 17-19 after a few years, King Laman died, and his son began to stir the people up to rebel against the people of Zenith. This we call the Second War of Zenith, about 178 B.C. For the Lamanites, quote, were a wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, believing in the tradition of their fathers. Unquote. Mosiah 10:12. And thus they have taught their children that they should hate them and murder them and rob and plunder them, to do all they could to destroy them. 
Therefore, they have an eternal hatred towards the children of Nephi. Unquote. Mosiah 10:17. The result of the second war of Zenith was, quote, We slew them with a great slaughter, even so many that we did not number them. Unquote. Mosiah 10:20. Zenith then conferred the kingdom upon one of his sons, Noah, and Noah, quote, put down all the priests that had been consecrated by his father and consecrated new ones in their stead, such as were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Mosiah 11.5 And because of the wickedness of Noah and his evil priests, many of the people fell into idolatry and the vain things of the world. King Noah had many concubines, and he burdened the people with a tax of one-fifth of all that they possessed. Unquote. Mosiah 13.3 The great prophet Abinadi emerged in about the year 150 B.C. to preach repentance and to warn King Noah to return to the Lord, or if not, the Lord would visit them in his anger. They tried to kill him, but Abinadi escaped. Two years later, he returned to them in a disguise to preach repentance to them again, but this time he was imprisoned. As a prisoner in chains, Abinadi was brought before Noah and his court of priests. When they tried to kill him, he had not yet finished giving them the message that he had been sent to give them. So Abinadi said, quote, Touch me not, for God shall smite you if you lay your hands upon me, for I have not yet delivered the message which the Lord sent me to deliver. Unquote. Mosiah 13.3 At this point, Hmm. I actually think, no, that's right. At this point, they withdrew from him in fear. Quote, for the spirit of the Lord was upon him and his face shone with exceeding luster, even as Moses did while in the, in the Mount Sinai, while speaking with the Lord. And he spoke with power and authority from God, unquote. Mosiah 13, 5 through 6. Abinadi spoke to them boldly about the law of Moses, and he explained to them in great detail the meaning of the Ten Commandments. Then he said, quote, if ye had taught these things to the people, the Lord would not have caused me to come forth and prophesy evil concerning this people. Unquote. Mosiah 13.26 One of the priests of Noah by the name of Alma believed the words of Abinadi. Alma went off privately to the waters of Mormon and organized the Church of Jesus Christ. Abinadi suffered death by fire, but prophesied just prior to his death that his murderers would die in the same fashion. Mosiah 17 and 18 the day of retribution finally came upon the wicked king for the Lamanites attacked and King Noah was burned alive. Because of, their because of their iniquity, the Lord allowed these people to be taken into slavery under the new leader, Limhi. Mosiah 19 May we ever remember from the experiences of Zenith, Abinadi, King Noah, and Alma. Zenith has his people prevail in both of their wars because they humbled themselves before the Lord. The opposite took place with the wicked King Noah. Joshua and the Seven Nations of Canaan After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, the Lord promised the 12 tribes of Israel a promised land that they would be able to keep from one generation to the next forevermore. It was to be a land of milk and honey, a land where they would not need to plant orchards or build homes because they were already in place for them. The wicked, idolatrous nations that inhabited the lands of Canaan were to be displaced. Canaan was to be left completely void of any and all inhabitants so that each tribe of Israel would be able to move in according 
to the promises and prophecies of the Lord their God. Quote, the Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Unquote. Deuteronomy 1.30 And Israel passed by Esau, but the Amorites were given into, the, into their hands. And the land of the Moabites had already been promised by the Lord to the descendants of Lot. The tall people were the Anakins, called by some the Emiams. The land of Ammon was formerly the land of giants and the Ammonites called the giants Zamzumzumans, and that's Deuteronomy 2, 9 through 20. Then Sion came out against Israel, so Israel took all of their cities, and the people of Bashan and Og came out, and the people of Israel took all of their cities. Deuteronomy 3, 4. And the land of Bashan and the region of Argob was also called the land of the giants. Deuteronomy 3.13 Reuben and Gad were given inheritance east of the river Jordan. Moses seized Canaan from the top of Mount Pisgah, but is denied the privilege of actually stepping foot onto the promised land because he had transgressed. Deuteronomy 3.23-27 But Moses charged Joshua to lead the people with great courage. Deuteronomy 3.28, reminding him of the promise of the Lord, quote, You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. Deuteronomy 3.22, quote, oh, and that was an unquote. This is, quote, and he said, Behold, the Lord your God hath shewed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of fire. Of the fire. Emphasis, we have seen. Seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. End emphasis, unquote. Deuteronomy 5.24 Quote, Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. He will put out those nations before thee by little and little. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction. Unquote. Deuteronomy 7.21-23 Helaman and the 2,000 stripling warriors of the people of Ammon. The grand history of the great mission of the sons of Mosiah comprises chapter 17 to 26 in the book of Alma. About 91 years before the birth of Christ, the sons of Mosiah served a 14-year mission among the Lamanites who lived in the land of Nephi, Ishmael. Alma 17:4. Eventually, they took upon themselves the name of Ammon because of their great love and respect for the missionary whose efforts resulted in the conversion of so many thousands of the children of Laman, Lemuel, and Ishmael. The names of the four sons of Mosiah were Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni. Mosiah 24:34. Prior to their mission to the Lamanites, they had traveled throughout the land of Zarahemla, preaching the gospel, zealously attempting to repair the damage that they had done to the church in their younger, wilder days. Mosiah 27, 35-37 when, when called upon to replace Mosiah as king, all four of them rejected the call to the kingship. Mosiah 28:10 and Alma 17, 6 Helaman, the son of Alma, assumed command of the 2,000 young stripling warriors about 64 years B.C. 
When the Lamanites came to attack in countless numbers from the south, the people of Ammon were about to break the oath that they had made with God to never take up arms again for the rest of their lives. But Helaman stepped in and convinced them to retain the oath to not fight. Alma 53:14. Then the young Ammonites, who had never taken an oath, asked Helaman to be their military leader. Helaman 53:19 and 22. So Helaman's little band of young men went to fortify the army of Antipas. The largest of all the armies of the Lamanites was stationed in Antipara, a city which had been taken from the Nephites. Helaman and his 2,000 sons marched near them to draw them out. The plan worked. Finally, the army of the evil leader Amaron stepped, stopped pursuing them, so they had to make a decision about what to do. All of the 2,000 young men voted to turn back to go to battle and help the army of Antipas. Quote, now they never had fought, yet they did not fear death, and they did think more upon the liberty of their fathers than they did upon their lives. Yea, they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. Unquote. Alma 56, 47 and through 48. So great was the slaughter among the Lamanites, they gave up and offered themselves as prisoners of war. When Helaman counted his stripling warriors, he discovered to his stark amazement that not one of them had been killed. Many of them had sustained multiple wounds, but none of them had died in battle. Quote, but behold, to my great joy, there had not one of them fallen to the earth, yea, and they had fought with miraculous strength, and with such mighty power did they fall upon the Lamanites." that they did frighten them, and for this cause did the Lamanites deliver themselves up as prisoners of war, unquote. Alma 56, 56. The city of Antipero was recovered, and then an additional 60 of the sons of the Ammonites arrived to join the band of 2,000. As the huge number of prisoners were being marched <coughs> to the land of Zarahemla, another large army of Lamanites came to battle against them in great ferocity. The band of 2,000 remained firm and undaunted, for they administered death to all who opposed them, quote, Yea, and they did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness, yea, and even according to their faith it was done unto them, and I did remember the words which they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. Alma 57:21. After the great battle for the city of Cumani was over, Helaman had another count performed. He discovered that there were 200 out of his 2,000 who had fainted from loss of blood. Quote, Nevertheless, according to the goodness of God and to our great astonishment, and also the joy of our whole army, there was not one soul of them who did perish. Yea, and neither was there one soul among them who had not received many wounds. And now their preservation was astonishing to our whole army. Yea, that they should be spared. So while there was a thousand of our brethren who were slain, and we justly ascribed it to the and we justly ascribe it to the miraculous power of God because of their exceeding faith in that which they had been taught to believe that there was a just God and whosoever did not doubt that they should be preserved by his marvelous power now this was the faith of these of whom i have spoken they are young and their minds are firm and they do put their trust in God continually. Alma 57, 25 to 27. And that's an unquote. Once again, for, their bol for the bolstering of their faith, 
sorry, once again, for the bolstering of our faith and confidence, we are presented with a record of the great and matchless power of God in preserving those who humbly place their hearts and their full faith in Him. Even while they are willing to sacrifice their own lives in so worthy of a cause as to protect their loved ones, their religion, and the freedom of their native country. And let us soberly remember how this type and shadow from the Book of Alma applies to us here in the near future in these latter days. Moses, Aaron, and her defeat, the Amalekites. Quote, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Oh, that was a quote and I'm unquoting now. Uh, Alma, let's see. Exodus 7 through 8. Sorry, Exodus 7, verse 8. Quote, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us our men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people at the edge of the sword, and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And Moses built an altar and called the name of Jehovah, for he said, and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, quote, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek, or the Amalekites, from generation to generation, unquote. And unquote again. And that's Exodus 17, 1 through 16. See also Exodus 24, 14. Michael the archangel fights against Gog and Magog at the end of the millennium. At the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, Satan and his hosts of demons will be bound and cast into prison. But at the end of the thousand years of the millennium, Satan and his armies will be turned loose one last time to fight a great battle. This great battle is referred to as the battle of Gog and Magog. Magog was the son of Japheth, who was the oldest son of Noah. After the flood, Magog settled near the Black Sea, which today is the territory of Russia. See Ezekiel 38:21, Ezekiel 39:6, Revelation 28, 20 verse 8, Genesis 10:2, and 1 Chronicles 1:5. The Northland is the land of the heathen nations. Gog was a descendant of Reuben. 1 Chronicles 5:4. But Ezekiel promised. Or Ezekiel prophesied that the Lord would be against Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Ezekiel 38, 1 through 3. Quote, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of the heaven and devoured them. Unquote. Revelation 27 through 9. 
Quote, and Michael the seventh angel, even the archangel, shall gather together his armies, even the hosts of heaven. And then cometh the battle of the great God, and the devil and his armies shall be cast away into their own place, that they shall not have power over the saints any more at all. For Michael shall fight their battles, and shall overcome him who seeketh the throne of him who sitteth upon the throne, even the Lamb. This is the glory of God, and the sanctified, and they shall not any more see death. Unquote. Doctrine and Covenants 88.112-116 The story of Mormon and the utter destruction of the people of Nephi. Speaking of the Nephite people, about 380 years after the birth of Jesus, Mormon, the prophet of God, said, quote, They were once delightsome people, and they had Christ for their shepherd. Yea, they were led even by God the Father, but now, behold, they are led by sa- about by Satan, even as chaff is driven before the wind, or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves, without anchor, sail, or anchor, or without anything wherewith to steer her. And even as she is, so are they. Unquote. Mormon 5, 17-18 Speaking of the Lamanite people, Mormon said, quote, For this people shall be scattered and shall become a dark, a filthy, and a loathsome people beyond the descriptions of that which ever hath been amongst us, yea, even that which hath been among the Lamanites, and this because of their unbelief and idolatry. Unquote. Mormon 5, 15 from the coming of Jesus amongst the people after his resurrection in Jerusalem, there had been continued peace and prosperity, and the people had become numerous, and they covered the land in all directions. But in the 201st year A.D., there began to be divisions among the people because of pride and the wearing of costly apparel and of the fine things of the world. 4 Nephi 1, 24-26 Then there began to be many different churches. By the year 2.10, and they began to persecute the humble followers of Christ. 4th Nephi 1.26-30 The prophet Amaron called upon Mormon, who was ten years of age, to prepare to take his place as the new prophet and keeper of the sacred records that Amaron had hidden in a hill called Shim in the land of Antum, which this author believes to be located near the modern-day city of Tampico in the site of Tamalupas, Mexico. Mormon 1, 1-5 The three Nephites abandoned the wicked Nephite nation, and the gifts of the Spirit were taken from them. Doctrine and Covenants 46, Moroni 10, 1 Corinthians 12 Even the Holy Ghost did not come upon any because of their wickedness and unbelief. Mormon 1, 14 when Mormon was 15 years old, the Lord Jesus Christ came to visit him, and of this encounter we are not given any details because of its sacredness. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 46, Moroni 10, 1 Corinthians 12. When Mormon was 15 years old, the Lord Jesus Christ came to visit him, and of this encounter... Oops, I already said that. Uh, we're not given any... Oh, Maybe that's why I messed up. When Mormon was 15 years old, the Lord Jesus Christ came to visit him. And of this encounter, we are not given any details because of its sacredness. And that reference is actually Mormon 1.15. The following year, at the age of 16, the people placed Mormon at the head of all their armies. This was the year 326 A.D. 
The Lord cursed the land so that the gold and the precious things became slippery and would disappear, and the magic arts and witchcraft was in the land. Mormon 2.10 When Mormon saw that the people began to mourn and lament, his heart began to rejoice, and he took hope for them. But alas, his joy was in vain, for their sorrowing was not the sorrow of the penitent because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. Mormon 2, 12 and 13. Mormon saw, quote, that the day of grace was passed with them both temporally and spiritually, unquote, Mormon 2.15. Over a period of roughly 20 to 30 years, the prophet Mormon, son of Mormon, who simultaneously served as the chief captain over all the armies, led his people to victory three times. This caused the people in their impenitent state to become arrogant, even to the point of going into the land of Nephi to the south, to attack the Lamanites rather than simply to defend themselves. Mormon 3, 13-16 At this point, he utterly refused to lead them any longer. This was the absolute turning point. Even after the Nephites began to become extinct, the wicked were left by God to destroy the wicked. Mormon 4, 5 In the entire history of the house of Israel, never had there been such rampant wickedness. Mormon 4, 12 Mormon then prophesies that in the last days the descendants of Laman, Lemuel, and Ishmael will be driven and scattered by the Gentiles, and this prophecy has already been fulfilled, particularly in the 19th century in the United States. Mormon 5, 19-24 The final battle took place in the land of Cumorah, around a hill called Cumorah. Author's note, I believe, off the central western Gulf of Mexico near Veracruz, Mexico. In a land of many springs of water, hundreds of thousands of them were mercilessly hewn down to the death because they would not turn to him who had made them. All but 24 of them were slaughtered. Mormon 67, 1-11 Quote, And my soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people, and I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. Unquote. Mormon 6, 16-20 Mormon speaks boldly then to the Lamanites of the latter days, exhorting them to believe in Jesus Christ and to accept, accept the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Mormon 7 after, um, sorry, chapter 7 brings us to an end of the writings of Mormon for the final two chapters of the Book of Mormon were written by his son Moroni. Moroni provides for us a record of the second epistle written to him by his father Mormon in which he speaks of the depravity and the degenerate conditions of the people that remained alive. Moroni 9. In the 10th chapter of Moroni, we are blessed with a wonderful list of the gifts of the Spirit with Moroni's proclamation that, quote, every good gift cometh of Christ. Moroni 10, 18. Uh, and that's an unquote. Toward the end of the second epistle to his son, Moroni, Mormon says, quote, my son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down unto death, but may Christ lift thee up. And may his sufferings and death and the showing of his body to our fathers and his mercy and long suffering and the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in your mind forever. 
and may the grace of God the Father, whose throne is high in the heavens, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who sitteth on the right hand of his power, until all things shall become subject unto him, be and abide with you forever. Amen. Unquote. Moroni 9, 25 and 26. Moses, the children of Israel and the Egyptians, quote, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace, unquote. Exodus 14, 14. Could the Lord God have liberated the Hebrew slaves from the grip of Pharaoh himself without the help from anyone? Absolutely. But instead, he raised up an individual child of God that even from before the foundations of the world was foreordained to be a leader, a great man of God, someone destined to play a specific role in human events. And Moses learned and grew in wisdom and temperance every step of the journey, even from infancy in the palace of Pharaoh. Moses was born to Amram and Jochebed, and his father, Amram, passed away at the age of 137 years. They were descendants of Levi, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Exodus 6, 16-20 The life of Moses was divided into three separate periods of 40 years each. For 40 years he was raised up as a prince in Egypt and schooled by the finest scholars in the world. At the age of 40 he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and he assumed his birthright as a Hebrew slave. Exodus 2, 1 through 10, Acts 7, 20 and 21, Hebrews, Hebrew 11, 23. To protect and defend a Hebrew slave, he ended up killing an Egyptian overseer and was then banished from the kingdom and exiled into the sandy deserts to die of thirst, starvation, and exposure to the sun. The ministering angels of God preserved Moses and guided him to the land of Midian, where he got married to the daughter of Jethro, whose name is Zipporah. From Jethro, Moses received the Holy Priesthood, Doctrine and Covenants, 84.6. After 40 years of working as a herdsman, Moses visited with the Lord at the burning bush and was called to go back to Egypt to liberate the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from bondage. Exodus 2. The third period of 40 years began as Moses returned to Egypt and the Lord assigned his older brother Aaron to be his spokesman. Aaron's rod became a serpent and waters of the river Nile were turned to blood. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not release the slaves. The magicians of the court imitate the miracles of Moses and Aaron. In his anger, the Lord unleashed ten plagues against Egypt. One, water turned to blood. Two, frogs. Three, lice. Four, flies. Five, cattle dying. Six, boils. Seven, hail. Eight, locusts. Nine, thick darkness. And ten, slaying all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Hmm. I personally, I don't think it was just of the Egyptians. That's why we have Passover. Okay. After 430 years of captivity, Israel is thrust out of Egypt right after the destroying angels slayed the firstborn sons. The Passover was established as the Lord commanded them to mark the doorposts with the blood of male lambs that are without blemish. And no bones of paschal lambs were to be broken. All of these signs and wonders were given to them as signs to teach Israel to look forward to the day when the very Son of God would be lifted up and die as redemption for the sins of the world. But not a single bone of the body of the Savior was to be broken. Exodus 11 and 12 
When the children of Israel arrived at the shores of the Red Sea, they were terribly afraid because the army of Pharaoh had them trapped. But the angel of God went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and came between them and the army of Pharaoh. All night long the cloud of darkness kept them safe, and all night long a strong east wind was sent by the Lord to divide the sea, creating a path of dry land upon which the camp of Israel could cross over. And the great waters were a wall to them on the left and on their right. In the morning, when the pillar of fire and the cloud were removed, the Egyptians pursued the hosts of Israel, and their chariot wheels were taken off. The Egyptians said, quote, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Unquote. Exodus 14:25. Quote, and Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and there remained not so much as one of them. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Uh, I think that might be an unquote. Israel saw that the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, quote, and the Lord feared the Lord, and the, oh, sorry, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses, unquote. Exodus 4, 27 to 41. The Lord sent quail for me, and it rained manna from heaven every day except the Sabbath day for 40 years. Exodus 16. In the eighth article of faith, we read, we quote, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God, unquote. The death of Moses is set forth for us in Deuteronomy 34, 5-6, saying that Moses died in the land of Moab and that he was buried in the land in, the, in a valley in the land of Moab, that no man knows where his sepulchre is, even to this day. However, we know that Nephi brought out of Jerusalem the brass plates of Laban, which were passed down from one generation to the next amongst the descendants of, the, of Father Lehi. According to the prophet Mormon, in about the year 73 B.C., quote, he, Alma, was taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. But behold, the scriptures say, saith the Lord took Moses unto himself, and we suppose that he also received Alma in the Spirit unto himself. Therefore, for this cause, we know nothing concerning his death and burial. Unquote. Alma 45.19 they were both Mos they were both Moses and Alma, translated by the Lord in their own due and respective times and places. As a translated being with a tangible body of flesh and bone, Moses made two subsequent appearances to further his ministry upon the earth. One, in company with Elijah, he came to the Mount of Transfiguration and bestowed the keys of the priesthood upon Peter, James, and John. Doctrine and Covenants sixty three twenty one, History of the Church three um page 387, Matthew 17, 3 through 4, Mark 9, 4 through 9, Luke 9, 30. This event occurred prior to the resurrection of Jesus. Since the resurrection had not yet occurred, we know that Moses was a translated being because he was physically able to lay hands on Peter, James, and John. 2. Moses came yet again to the earth on April 3, 1836, to the temple in Kirtland, Ohio, and conferred the keys of the gathering of Israel upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Doctrine and Covenants 110.11 Scriptures revealed in the latter days confirm for us that indeed Moses was a great prophet, that his calling was divine, and they reaffirm that he was the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, each of which bears his name. These five books are 1 Genesis, 2 Exodus, 3 Leviticus, 4 Numbers, and 5 Deuteronomy. 
1 Nephi 5.11, and Moses 1.40-41. Thus we see that for those who have faith and all and will hold their peace, quote, the Lord shall fight for you, unquote. Exodus 14.14. 14. Surely the Lord, and that's an unquote, surely the Lord God will indeed fight our battles for us, and we will see his arm revealed in the battles which are yet to be fought in the latter days.